You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Awesome. Hey, let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 as we kick off a new series that we have entitled Gold and Honey. It is a title that we have taken from Psalm 1910 where the psalmist says that God's law is to be more desired than gold and is sweeter than honey. God's law is to be more desired than gold and is sweeter than honey. For those of you who have read the Bible and maybe the Old Testament, if you've kept count, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. And when you think of the law, you probably don't think uh, more precious than gold and sweeter than honey, right? In fact, you might read the law and say these seem out of date, they seem irrelevant, uh, they seem to make no sense, they seem to be oppressive. Um, but actually, God is taking all of those laws and He has summed up His heart and his character behind those laws through what we call the Ten Commandments. And we believe these commandments actually transcend all of culture and all of time. And if we will understand these commandments and we will take them and we will apply them to our life, we believe that as a result, we will experience a life more fully. We believe we will experience a life that is rich and is exactly the life that God has created us to experience. And so that's why over the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at all 10 commandments, one by one. Um, if you are here today and you are a visitor, let me welcome you. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're able to be here. Our hope is that you will go from feeling like a guest to feeling like family just as soon as you uh, possibly can or want to. And if you want more information about our church, you can go to our website, fellowshipparagold.com. Uh, you can go to join our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash fellowshipparagold, or you can just come and grab me at the door, uh, talk with me. I'll go uh, grab a lunch with you, breakfast, whatever. Our heart is just, is, is literally, we just want you to feel like you're a part of the family, and, and we want to serve you and love you the best that we can, okay? So Exodus chapter 20, we're only going to be reading three verses, and, uh, and then we'll dive into it. Start in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the very first of the Ten Commandments. He says, Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you for each person who is here this morning. We know that nobody woke up just to come and sing a few songs and um, to hear just someone get up and, and, and preach. Father, we need to be changed. We need to be transformed. We need to experience you as you really are. And we know that that can only happen through the power of your Holy Spirit. So would you be gracious to us at this time? Would you work through the power of your Spirit through your Word and transform us from the inside out? And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, um... Anyone in here ever do chores growing up? Anybody do chores growing up? Yeah, I didn't. Um, but my mom tried valiantly to get us to do chores. Um, I can remember she would give us a uh, very detailed to-do list um, with very clear instructions on what she wanted from us. And um, she would do whatever she could to, to try to motivate us. I remember, you know, I would start chores, and usually it might start out pretty well, but after about five minutes, I'd be like, well, would you look at the time, you know? And then I would just go outside and play or do whatever I want. And so mom tried to motivate us with rewards. She'd say, here's a little allowance, or, you know, now your friends can come over and play with you if you want. And, and that kind of worked, but not really. 
eventually, and, and, and you know, if the rewards didn't work, what she would then do to motivate us is use what? Fear, right? Discipline. And so dad would spank us for not doing the chores. And by us, I mean me, not my brother. My brother was always the perfect little child. But um, dad would spank us. And, and yes, uh, I know that's politically incorrect to receive spankings, but I received a lot growing up. My kids receive a lot from me now growing up. And so, um, but, you know, mom would come in, and I remember she would, you know, see that I haven't done chores, and she'd say, okay, Jared, you've got an option here. You can either do the chores or you can get a spanking. Which one do you want? And I'd say, well, of course I want the spanking because a spanking is going to hurt for three minutes. Chores hurt for like three hours, you know? So it's like, yeah, I'll take the spanking. And so mom tried as hard as she could to get us to do chores, and I never wanted to do them. And I think, you know, the reason why is because I just didn't understand the benefit of it. You know, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me, to be honest. And as a selfish child and teenager, all I cared about is myself. And as I looked at the chores at this to-do list that my mom had given me, I, I just thought, you know, the reward doesn't seem to really outweigh the cost. So I'm not going to make the sacrifice. I'm not going to live under this restriction. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And I believe that when that happens, life will go better for me. And, and you see, the reason I share that is I think, if we can be honest, the same is true for some of us when it comes to our relationship with God and the commandments that he has given us. I mean, isn't it true that sometimes when we read the Old Testament or we come to the Ten Commandments, those are not a part of us, This is, I'm sure if I do these things, the world would be a cleaner place. Or I'm sure if I did this, God would be pleased with me. But I don't really think the reward outweighs the cost. Right? Would we look at them and say, this, these laws... They really don't make that much sense to me in 2016. So I think I'm just going to not make that sacrifice. I'm just going to kind of keep on doing my own thing. And you see, the reason why that is, is listen, for those of us that don't obey God's commands, it's because we just don't understand who God really is and why he's given us his commands in the first place. I mean, maybe there are some of you even right now, when you sit here and you think about the Ten Commandments or God's law, you imagine this God who is just sitting in heaven one day and saying, okay, hmm, what seems like fun? I know, having sex with whoever you want. Therefore, don't do that, right? What seems like fun? Whatever it is, don't do it. Obey these laws just because I'm God and I said so. Right? We think about God's laws, but we would never say it out loud. There's a part of us that almost views God as a celestial killjoy who just passed commands and says you need to now obey them just because i said you need to obey them but what i hope you see over the next 10 weeks is nothing can be further from the truth but the reality is listen god did not give us his law simply because he wants to regulate your life god gave you his law because he wants you to have a rich life and i'm not just talking about financially rich i'm talking about something much deeper and more beautiful than that what i'm talking about is god has given you his law and me his law because he wants us to have a, a spiritually and emotionally and relationally rich life with him that he has intended for us to experience so here's what is at stake this morning if we look at god's law and we say you know what man i'm a new testament christian pastor come on i mean old testament we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. What are we talking about here? I mean, if we just say, I'm going to set aside God's law, what I want you to see is this. When you set it aside, you are choosing to live a life lesser than the life God's created you to experience. When you set aside God's law, you are saying, I am okay with missing out on something much greater and much more beautiful and much better than the life that I could choose for myself. 
And that's exactly what we see as we start this morning in our text in Exodus chapter 20. If you look with me again in verse 2, it says, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What I want you to see this morning is before God ever gives us a command, what we need to see is this. God's rules always begin with relationship. Another way of saying it is like this. God's guidelines are always tethered to God's grace. Uh, His commandments always flow out of His compassion. Notice in here, look again with your own eyes. Notice God does not start out and say, I am the Lord, and if you will do everything that I've asked you to do, I will be your Lord. Is that what He says? No, He starts and He says, I am your Lord. Before he ever gives a commandment, he says to Israel, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the house of slavery. And before he ever gives a commandment, he says, Israel, you have to get this. Remember, Israel, you were enslaved. You were in bondage. You were lost and without hope. And you cried out to me, and I heard your cries. He says, and then in grace, what did I do? I rescued you from slavery. He says, Israel, you have to remember, before I give you a command, you were oppressed. Right? You were were hurting. You were in pain. So you cried out to me. And because I love you, before I ever gave you one law, I chose to set you free. It's so important that we get this today because isn't it true that a lot of times whenever we read the Old Testament, we say, ah, it's a different God than the God of the New Testament. I mean, the God of the New Testament, he's clearly a God of love and grace and mercy. The God of the Old Testament, he's law and justice and wrath. And yet, what do we see right here in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus? God initiates a relationship with his people. Why? Not because of guidelines, but because of grace. He, He frees them from slavery, not because they followed his commandments, but simply because he wanted to. You need to hear that today. You need to be reminded today. We all need to be reminded today that no matter who you are or what you've done or what you have not done, listen to me, God is not looking at you right now and saying, you want to have a relationship with me? Clean yourself up. You want to be with me? Knock out this to-do list. No, what God is saying to you right now is I know every single thing that you've done and I'm telling you, come to me as you are and I will receive you with open arms. That's what we see even right here in the Old Testament. It's what he does with Israel. But here's the problem. Though God has set them free from physical slavery, they now find themselves in a different form of slavery. Uh, If you read up to Exodus 20, you will see that Israel is committing adultery. They're lying. They're stealing. They're murdering. They're worshiping false gods. And listen, because God loves them, And because he knows the things they are doing is robbing them from the life he has created them to experience, he begins to now set up some guidelines. He gives them these commandments to keep them from going down a path to destruction. What God does is he he gives these ten commandments, not primarily because he is all about rules, but because he is a God who is all about relationship. He gives them these rules, not because he is a distant tyrant who wants to oppress them, but because he is a loving father who wants to care for them. Think about it like this this morning. I'm going to see a show of hands. How many of you in here have rebellious kids? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. How many of you have kids? Raise your hands. 
You have rebellious kids, okay? Um, I love my kids. You love your kids. We all love our kids, okay? But all of us know, if we can be honest, there are times our kids do foolish things that we know they shouldn't do. For example, my son, just a couple weeks ago, I was on the, um, on the driveway, and I had a little charcoal grill out, and I was grilling some sugar-cured ham, some bacon, and eggs, right, which turned out to be amazing. And um, anyways, so I'm out there, and I'm grilling, and my son begins to try to touch the flaming hot grill. So I move his hand away, he tries it again, I'm like, son, it's hot. He's like, ah, and he starts, you know, kind of getting kind of mad at me, and like, I want to touch the grill. So I finally just get on his level and say, son, look, if you try to touch this grill one more time, you're going to go inside the house, and you're going to have to stay in there with your mom and your sister, and you're not going to be able to stay out here, okay? Now let me ask you a question, parents. By me setting that boundary, am I a mean father or a loving father? Okay? Everybody said loving except for the person who has the same mind as my child, right? <laughs> who doesn't understand, right, that I'm not trying to oppress my son. I'm trying to free my son, right? My son and his little pea brain doesn't understand if I touch this hot grill, it's going to hurt a lot. He doesn't get it. And because I love my son, and I don't want him to experience pain, I don't want him to experience consequences unnecessarily, I try to set boundaries for him. And listen, it's the same way with the law, don't you see? It's the exact same way. Listen, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, the relationship you have with God is a father and son or a father and daughter relationship. And so when God gives you his law, you've got to keep in mind, you have been adopted already into his family. And so he gives you these laws, not because he wants to oppress you, but because he wants to protect you. He knows how life works best. He's not like just one who wants to steal your joy and say, in the meantime, try to work your way into my lap. That's not why the law was given. Now here's the deal. If my son touched the grill, would there have been consequences? Right? I wouldn't even have probably had to spank him because he would have realized, like, well, maybe I should listen to Dad next time, right? Because now my hand's on fire. And so, right, there would have been consequences, but would he have still been my son? Absolutely he would have been. The same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. He looks at Israel before he ever gives them a commandment, any sort of to-do list. He says, I am the Lord your God. Before you ever obey anything, you need to understand, I am yours and you are mine. Okay, so we need to have that framework. Then in light of that, let's move forward in verse 3. He gives the very first commandment, and what is it? You shall have no other gods before me. God looks and he sees his children are heading down a destructive path. He sees that they are in trouble, and so what does he do? He says, I need to create some guidelines here. I need to put some guardrails up to keep them from heading off the cliff. And the very first commandment he gives, which I believe is the most important commandment, by the way, if you don't get this one right, you won't get any of the rest of them. The very first thing he says to them is, you shall not put any other gods before me. In other words, listen to me. He looks at you this morning and he says, hey, you want life to work? Do you want life to work. Do you want to experience true joy and peace and satisfaction that you actually are longing for? Then here's what you have to do. Here's the, here's the key. You ready? He says, make me number one in your life. 
realize you're not the center of the universe. I am. And if you hear that this morning, listen to me, and you think, that kind of makes God uh, egotistical, doesn't it? If you read it this morning and you think, it seems like God's this megalomaniac, then you just don't understand God. Listen, guys, do you realize that God must be about himself more than he's about you or anything else? Do you realize that? God must be about God first. And you know why? Because God knows that only God can carry the weight of our worship. God knows that he alone can give us what we need. Which is why, if you've ever worshipped anything above God, put anything in the place of God, anyone or anything, what happens eventually? That person or that thing is absolutely crushed under the weight of your worship. It ends up hurting you, and it ends up hurting others around you. And I can give you example after example of this in my own life, even as a pastor. I, I mean, my whole life, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but I've been a very competitive person my whole life, Okay? I'm actually much better now than I used to be. Matt, can you vouch for that? Matt's known me back even in the day. Um, always been competitive, always willing to do whatever I need to do to win. I remember people used to say, cheaters never win, and I'd think, yeah, they do. They win a lot, actually. You know, like I've cheated many times to win, and it felt pretty good, got the victory, you know. And so, um, you know, and then I became a Christian, and I would like to say all of my competitiveness just like fell away, but it didn't. I mean, God began to redeem a lot of it, but still was a pretty competitive person. And I can remember even as a college pastor, this was 11 years ago, um, I, I, I put our college ministry in this church softball league as a co-ed softball league. And so here's all these college students. I'm supposed to be discipling, but I found myself every game, and guess what would happen? I got mad at the college students. I really did. And so we would have like a girl at second base. A line drive would be hit to her. She'd move out of the way, and I'd be like, stay in front of the ball. You know, like yelling at her, right? Or hit the cutoff, man. It's not that hard. I mean, I remember a time where I was on deck, and this, this literally happened. I was on deck. A girl comes up to me to share with me a prayer need, and I look right at her, and I said, I'm not taking prayer requests right now. <laughs> like... We are one run down. There's a person on second base. There's two outs, and I'm about to go into the plate. Like, what are we doing here? Focus. <laughs> Obviously, I hurt her. I hurt others. And to be honest, in the middle of it, I had a miserable time because we were a terrible team. It was awful. I've never played church softball since then. It's, what's that all about? Isn't it easy to look and say, ah, Jared, you're just a little too competitive. But the problem is, the reason I'm so competitive is because there was something I put in the place of God. I found my identity not in Christ and his performance. I found my identity in me and my performance. And when I would win, guess what? I felt very valued. And when I lost, I felt like a loser. And so I would sulk and I would get mad and make everybody miserable around me because I was miserable. Right? I would crush others. I wouldn't just hurt me. I would hurt other people. It literally would rob me of my, my joy and my peace. And, and listen, for some of you, you maybe hear that and you're like, Jared, I could care less about sports. Man, like that illustration doesn't mean anything to me. I don't struggle with performance idols. Okay, good. Maybe not. But listen, everybody in here, if we can be honest, everybody in here is tempted to put something in the place of God. And you're tempted to do it on a daily basis, whether that be your kids whether that be your spouse, whether that be money, whether that be the approval of others, 
whether that be your comfort or your control, every single one of us are tempted to take, listen to me, something that is good and trying to make it our God. Trying to make it ultimate. And listen, if you do this, it's just a matter of time before you crush it or it crushes you. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I can't think of anything actually, Jared, that I put in front of God. Well, let me encourage you to just spend some time considering the following questions. Question number one. Who or what do I live for? Or maybe a better way of asking it is, who or what do I feel like I cannot live without? What is the one person or thing in your life above anything else that you think, if I lost this, I just couldn't go on? Question number two. Who or what do I run to in times of need? If it's been a stressful day or a horrible day or things seem to be falling apart, who do I run to first? Is it a spouse? Is it your friends? Is it Netflix? Is it pills? Is it porn? Is it food? What do you tend to run to whenever you're stressed and hurting? Question number three. What causes my highest level of joy and my lowest level of grief? What emotionally gets to me more than anything else? You want to know what you worship? Look what evokes the most emotion in your life. Whether that be anger or sorrow or joy or just excitement. What do you get most excited about in your life? Two more questions. Question number four. What does my schedule tend to orbit around? What naturally tends to consume your time more than anything else? What tends to dominate your calendar? When you think about next week and you start planning, what do you plan everything around? Last question, question number five. What does my budget orbit around? When I look at my bank account, when I look at how I spend my money or save my money, what do I tend to to love the most? Do I trust God and what He says I should do with my money or am I trusting in someone or something else? Some sobering questions has been for me this past week. In fact, I had to share with my wife on the way over here some things I wrote in my journal about just some, some areas where I still see that I'm trying to place creation over the Creator. And if you can answer these honestly, maybe for some of you, you had to answer these questions, and you said there is something that you're putting in the place of God, and if so, listen guys, that means you're guilty of breaking the first commandment. This, the Bible calls you an, an idol worshiper. You are taking creation, and you're putting it in the place of the Creator. And listen to me guys, please, with love in my heart, what this means is you are absolutely allowing this thing to be your master. It is enslaving you, whether you realize it or not, and it's keeping you from experiencing less joy and less peace and less satisfaction than you were created to experience with God. And I'll say this, maybe you don't see the consequences of this right away. Sometimes you don't. Some, sometimes you don't, but the reality is, if you continue on this path, if you continue to put this thing in front of God, guys, I'm telling you, I hope you hear it before it happens, eventually, this thing will crush you. It will devastate you. Eventually things will begin to fall apart. 
I see it over and over again. In fact, it's probably the most heart-wrenching thing about being a pastor. You can see it coming. And, you know, as I think about how gradual this is, I was thinking about even my own weight this past week. When I got married, I was 155 pounds. That was six years ago. Is my wife in here? No, she's teaching class, okay? What a servant. Um, And so, uh, (laughs) and so, um, wait, 155 pounds. After Christmas last week, I weighed myself, I was 183. Okay, now I know like 183 pounds, not a lot. You're like, whoa, easy heavyweight, 183. You know, like, I know for 6'2", that's not that heavy. But here's what's alarming. I'm not trying to gain weight, okay? I'm not waking up eating like 12 eggs and six cans of tuna and, you know, like, I'm not drinking protein shakes like Alton over there and all this kind of stuff. I'm not trying to gain weight, right? But slowly but surely, over the past six years, I've gained almost 30 pounds, and here's why. Because what I want you to be able to eat, which was usually like 10 Oreos every morning, I can't do that anymore and not gain weight. And so even some of the day, I was at the gym, said, your belly was getting a little pudgy there, Pickney. And I was like, hey, God bless you. And so, um, and so <sighs> I have an option at this point in my life. And you guys can hold me accountable to it. I can either say, you know what? I want to be free. I don't want any restrictions. I'm going to eat whatever I want whenever I want and experience more pain and consequences later. Or I have an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to restrict my diet. I'm going to change some things and experience more freedom and joy later as a result. And you see, that's the way this works with God's law. When we break God's law, whatever it is, there will be consequences. Sometimes it will be immediately, like if my son would have touched the grill. Other times they don't come until years later. But the point is, listen guys, eventually... There will be consequences. There will be pain. And some of you really need to hear that right now. Because you're touching things you know God said stop touching. You're looking at stuff you know you shouldn't be looking at. You're closing your fist around something God has said let go of. And I'm telling you, if you continue down this path, it's just a matter of time before it devastates you. It's just a matter of time. And that's really bad news for all of us in the fact that, as one theologian said, human hearts are like idle factories, like we're always inventing new idols, things that we want to put in the place of God. So that's bad news for those of us who are sinners. But here's the good news this morning. You ready for some good news? If this is where you find yourself right now, no matter what you feel enslaved to, listen to me, You don't have to stay there. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is looking back on the law, and this is what he says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul would say in Acts 13, 39, which we reference this almost every week, and I'm going to keep referencing it until we believe it. Paul says that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from what? Everything. Is there anything you need to be freed from in here today? Jesus has promised you freedom. 
please hear this, guys. When Christ came into the world, He came and He lived a perfect life that none of us can live. Jesus alone is the only person who's never broken a commandment. He alone fulfilled the law and then He went to the cross. And He took on the wrath of God for lawbreakers like you and me. He he died the death. He suffered the penalty that we deserve. And then when He went to the, the grave, the Bible says He rose three days later from the dead. And then He ascended back to be with the Father. And what did He do? He sent us His Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can go from being enemies of God to being His beloved children. And so that we can now be set free to live the life that He has called us to live. The life that every single one of us in here are longing for and will never find in these counterfeit joys of the world. This is what the Bible calls good news, church. This is what the Bible calls good news. And it's good news because all of us in here are sinners. All of us have broken the Ten Commandments. All of us have chose to worship creation over the Creator. All of us in here, the Bible says, were born enslaved to our sin. And rather than God leaving us in slavery, He sent His Son to rescue us. He sent Jesus to come and succeed in every area that we have failed. And listen to me, now what Christ has done for you, He wants to do in you and through you. Doesn't mean if you follow Jesus, you won't be tempted to sin. You will be tempted to sin. You know what it does mean, though? You don't have to be enslaved by it anymore. Israel had no choice. They couldn't obey God's law. They didn't have a new heart. They didn't have the Spirit of God. We have a choice today. Guys, would you stop believing the lie that you have to be enslaved to your sin? You don't have to be ate up with anxiety. You don't have to be ate up with lust and laziness and loneliness and anger. You do not have to settle for slavery this morning. Would you stop believing the lie? Some of you, it's like you're defeated. Just the way it's always going to be. This ball and chain for the rest of my life. You don't know my family history. You don't know my personality, Jared. It's just the way it is, man. You just don't know my life. What all's happened to me? You don't have to be a slave anymore. You can choose to walk with Jesus. You can choose to follow after Him. You can choose to step out of the shadows and live the life He's called you to live. Get involved in a missional community. You can actually give your life to serving other people and loving other people and praying for other people. You can actually be a missionary in the city. You can actually discover the joy of living a generous, open-handed lifestyle. You can actually follow and obey God's commands that He has given us. Will there be times where you struggle? Yes. Will there, will there be times where you will fail? Yes. But what you will discover if you keep looking to Jesus, you will find that He is enough. His grace is sufficient. If you will cry out to Him as Israel cried out to God, He will free you from this slavery. He will give you Himself and everything that you need to live the life He created you to live that is for your good and ultimately for his glory. I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning as the band comes forward and those preparing communion. We're going to pray together. We're going to respond in worship.
through singing, and through giving. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here today. I, right now, I ask the power of your Holy Spirit, would you please do some idle crushing in here this morning? If there was somebody here who has believed the lie, they can never change, who is settling for counterfeit gods, would you give them hope right now? by setting their eyes on you. Help us to believe that you are good, that you are better than the things of this world, and that you are gracious, that you are not asking us to obey these things so that we can have a relationship with you. If there's someone here, even if they still struggle with, with idolatry and sin, just as I do, please don't let that keep them from coming to you. Draw them to yourself right now. Help us all to leave here filled with joy, not with guilt with hope and not with despair. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.